Today's episode is sponsored by HireSuite. HireSuite CRM helps talent acquisition teams hire more people by automating your outreach and nurturing your talent pipelines, allowing your talent teams to be a lot more productive. If you haven't tried HireSuite, head to HireSuite.com and try it out for free. Welcome to Crafty Sourcer. If you're looking for a raw, unfiltered podcast on all things sourcing in APAC, you've come to the right place. Grab a coffee or wine and join your host and other guests as we dive deep into the complex and ever-evolving world of sourcing, keeping you informed on insights, tools, and even at times, a healthy sourcing debate or two. Now, here's your host, Denise Pereira from Kaleidosource. Settle in and let's get crafty. Hey everyone, welcome back to Crafty Saucer. This week we have someone who wowed everyone at the Sydney Talent Meetup a few weeks ago, where they spoke about building out their sourcing function to drive hiring success at scale. And guess where they're doing it? They're doing it at Canva. And honestly, a lot of the stuff that they shared was super impressive and I knew I had to get them onto the show. Welcome, Leo. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Leo, quick intro into who you are. This is how we always start the podcast. So, quick intro. Who is Leo and how did you fall in love with sourcing? Can do. So, Leo, I live in uh, I live in a sunny place in Brisbane in Australia. I've been in recruitment oh, probably about a decade now. I'm just trying to give away ages or anything like that, but I'm grey. And look, I fell in love with sourcing probably in 2014, 2015. It came purely out of just frustration of not being able to find what I wanted to find. And then doing the usual, going down a rabbit hole, finding early doors, some very interesting people in Europe and the US, and then getting my eyes opened. And then from there, I've never looked back. So I've left the world of recruiting in terms of a delivery recruiter. And then I stepped into full-time sourcing roles, uh, probably 2017 made the transition. That's really impressive. I remember when you and I initially caught up and I asked you, I said, so what, how did you sort of get into the techie side of it? And you said you used to spend a lot of time with the developers. So can you talk to us a little about that? How did you kind of move into the techie part? 100%. When I worked at a, a previous employer in Sydney, I got put with the digital teams and it was very new for this employer and they really went all in. It was the, the time of scaled agile. I remember that buzzword well, safe. And one of the things I did is said, hey, can I just embed with the teams just so I understand better? And they were super accommodating. So they sat me on a desk. There were eight of us in a row. I sat right between the Android devs and a couple of the backend devs. And then from there, poor people just had to deal with my incessant questions. But just by osmosis and having that technical resource next to you, that's what really got me under the hood to realize, hang on, programmatically, you can do a lot. And then from there, this company bought a startup um, as well. And I flew over, I had to set up, I think it was 60 engineers riding Kotlin in 2017, which no one was using. And again, just got plonked right in the middle next to the CTO and just learned from there. Every question got an answer or gave me another question and did what we do as sources, right? Just go find out. And do you think obviously sitting as part of the team definitely elevated a lot of what you understood and know what sourcing is today? I guess it didn't teach me what sourcing is today. That I still had to bring the blend of, you know, there's a human aspect to sourcing, there's a technical aspect to sourcing, and then there's a natural born curiosity that you have. Like those three is like the special potion and you get a good sourcer, my opinion. But outside of that, sitting with those engineers and asking the questions, not being afraid to ask the questions and giving me that foundation, not only to understand tech, because that's my specialty now as a tech sourcer, but just to explore that realm of it wasn't just LinkedIn or it wasn't just Seek 
using you know, a simple database and some very basic or and ands, it was really opening my eyes to hang on. This is what programming is. And then me going, hang on, why can't I use this? This is great. Um, so I built up from there. Wow, this is next level stuff, Leo. You don't get to see this every day, right? Like programmatic um, sourcing. And, and I love asking this question because it gives, I think, the listeners a lot of insight into not only what sourcing is in general, but what is sourcing to you as a sourcer and, and what is the value that you feel it can bring to any organization irrespective of size? Yeah, look, the biggest thing for me, sourcing in a nutshell, you can break it down. It's one, it's aggregation of data. So it's very data-driven, but sourcing's twofold. There's the reactive and the proactive. Now, by no fault of TAs, we're generally very reactive unless you have that relationship with the business, but sourcing gives you that next level to try and plan ahead as much as you can. But then the third bit is that competitive intelligence. Now, when you mix that all together, the ability to now have a real-time impact on an organization's strategy, objectives, and goals that is, you know, that is sourcing to me. It's not just finding the body to fill the seat. It's yes, it's finding the body to do the work. That work is going to do something else. It's, hey, can you go map this market for me and give me some insights? We're thinking about starting something up in a different location. We don't know. It could be even working with an M&A team and they're going, hey, what's the talent landscape? If we do buy this, like, can we, can we actually keep it running? So sourcing to me is a lot deeper. You know, we talk about this inch wide, mile deep. That's sourcing to me. That's really interesting, Leo, because as you said, you know, sourcing has definitely evolved from what we knew to what it is now. And it can mean different things to different people based on, you know, what their interest levels are as well. And based on the sort of company size and the complexities that sort of sit within it. You work for some well-known companies such as Macquarie, Esri, and obviously now now Canva. How have you introduced a, a sort of a, a data-driven approach to, to changing and shaping up sourcing wherever you work? I think the big thing is just starting to map two things. One, what are we trying to solve? I'm, I'm a big advocate for first principle thinking. So a lot of people get caught in the noise and then we splinter off into a million different you know, little spheres of work and everything happens, everyone's busy, but you're not really solving that core problem. So how do we get there? Once we find out that, I think the big thing for the data approach is how do we collate data and how do we synthesize data in a manner that everyone is comfortable to interact with that data? Because it's very easy to, I think early days, I built out a little tool and I think it ingested like 3,000 profiles with everything under the sun, pushed it into the ATS. And after four weeks, that data was old and useless. So that was a big lesson for me, right? Okay, we don't do that. So now that's exactly that. How do I build the data that a TA partner in, I don't know, accounting is happy to engage and doesn't look at me as not adversarial, but like, oh my God, that scares me. I don't want to deal with that. So how do you break that down? And then I think outside of that is it's selling the process. Hang on, what are you trying to solve? Let's build something for that. All right. And once we've done that, let's be intentional throughout the process to continually maintain these, you know, these data stores that we have. And then what we do is, I do it a lot nowadays in particular, is how do I drive insight into the data? Because not everyone sees that data, especially when you have someone who was a recruiter, you know, that nuance of recruiting, you look at data and you go, oh, but this is because of this. Anyone else would look at that and be like, how did you get there? So we start breaking that down and we have regular insights and breakdowns. So that's how we'd start the process. We get the buy-in, but we always go back to what are we solving for? I had some great feedback where, a very senior engineering leader said to me, well, the feedback that was given is sometimes people build stuff because they think it's cool. It doesn't actually solve anything. Just don't do that. Um, and that's sort of stuck with me now. So get to the basics, 
set it up that it's easy to use for the end user and then add value by providing insight, metric, whatever it may be, to then solve the problem they have in their each in their localized specialties. That's a really good example of obviously, you know, some of the stuff that you've done, Leo. And with that, you mentioned obviously using those insights to drive a lot of that that data or, you know, to calm down some of the noise in the back end. How has that sort of, let, let's talk about it from a recruitment perspective as well. When you're going back to the business and you're sharing some of those insights, not just with the hiring managers, but also with the recruiters, what is their take on it? Are they shocked at some of the data that's coming back? Or because we're all in the same field, we're just doing things slightly different. Are they a bit more shocked at what they see? Yeah, I think not so much shocked i think a lot of people are inquisitive right like once you break this down into bite-sized morsels for people that they can digest it at their own pace you start seeing the gears working and the people then come back and go hey can you tell me about this now can you tell me about this so that's probably the, the best indicator that you're going about it the right way yeah and i think that would also help a lot it would also help the recruiter a lot when they're having those conversations with the hiring managers because now they have a lot more information than what they had maybe two days ago right 100 like a big thing i've done previous previous employer the current employer is let's say we go to market for a role we aggregate as much data as we can from as many data sources as we can. We run it through probably about five or six different scripts now. And then we put out a report and that report will go through skill set, geographical location, will give us a weighting of what's in the market. We'll then break it down by level. We have another algorithm that will try and look at, okay, hang on, let's look for keywords, look for years of experience, look at the size of the organization they've worked at. Let's approximate where they sit in our leveling, for example. And now recruiters can go back and go, hey, sorry, you want what? Okay, well, this is our what we call a, a candidate addressable market. And that document's live. It lives and breathes. I feed up, I guess, updated every six to eight weeks. But now you can look at it and go, hey, I need a front-end person. Okay, this is a demographic split. This is a socioeconomic split of that data set. Okay, what are we doing? You don't have to do it all the time. You get good at it after a while. Uh, but still, every now and then there's a curveball, right? Like, here's a thing we've never done before. What does it mean to us? So without without giving away too many of your secrets over here, Leo, I mean, this is phenomenal stuff what you're talking about here. And we don't see a lot of people talking about it, at least here in Australia, or either I have not heard of a lot of people or companies doing what, what you're doing right now. What are some of the tools that you're using? I, I'm, I'd imagine this is a lot of stuff that you built out in the back end, having that sort of, you know, that, that quota mindset that you've got. What are some of how did you build some of the stuff? A lot of it always comes back down to that frustration side, right? Where I'm like, I want to do this. There is nothing that can do this. I'm upset now. And then we go down the, the rabbit hole. Look, a lot of it is open source. So beg, borrow and steal from different pieces, stitch it together. I'll be honest, there's still times where I'm just like, why is this not working? And that's when I go again, have the relationship with the engineers and go tap them on the shoulder. And they go, yeah, that function there does not make sense. I'm like, thank you very much. On we go. But a lot of the stuff out there is how do we find something that someone's written, if they've written it, that feeds inspiration. We just have to slightly tidy it up to then change it to what I wanted to do. So that's one. The other one is very close partnerships with TA partners where they constantly saying, what problems are you trying to solve? I'm like, oh, you know, we're trying to do this and we never can seem to get this right. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go have a play with it. And then we'll build an MVP. And I go, hey, does this work? I'll give you an insight. One that I've recently done is just using the GitHub API. Someone said, oh, you know, I have to troll through stargazers for hours on end and I can't really get what I need. Now, Andre Bradshaw, amazing human, love him. He's done it in JavaScript. I'm a Python dev, really. So we went, okay, how do we build this that we can feed 10,000 stargazers into a platform? I want you to now go find all the individuals who are in Australia. Now I want you to chunk that out. And now I want you to take all their repos. And I want you to now just go names, write what's their most common language and how many of those do 
that they create. So I feed it 8,000 people, 10,000 people, whatever it is. I wait 20 minutes and then I get my response back. And the response back goes from 8,000. Okay, here's 100 people in A and Z that you probably want to talk to. And we go, okay, cool. And now give that to the recruiter. I've just saved the recruiter a week's worth of work. I step away and go, hey, look, if you really need me to jump in and message people or craft messages for you, hit me up. But a lot of times the recruiter's like, you've just done the heaviest lift for me. I can now go be more effective in my role. So it's things like that that we constantly play with. Holy shit. Like, uh, you, you don't even need a Chrome extension. If you have Leo on your team, you don't even need Chrome extensions. So, wow. Stick with Chrome extensions because <laughs> when things break and Leo's not available, then everyone's like, oh, this isn't working anymore. Yeah, that's amazing. The, the techie side of it, it's phenomenal, right? Like, when you hear about Amer, Emia, all these other regions, they're doing it. They're doing it at high levels. So, to hear this stuff coming out of Australia, I think is, is phenomenal. So, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you're on the podcast talking about this. Now, Leo, you've implemented some really cool frameworks and strategies you obviously mentioned competitive intelligence as one of those. What are some of your tips on best ways to analyze the data to identify trends to attract the talent that you're looking to bring in? Yeah, 100%. I think first and foremost, if you've got Google Sheets, you've got an amazing BI solution. All I can say is Google Sheets and ChatGPT4, App Script, as long as you can figure those three things out, you're miles ahead of anyone else. But I think the big thing for me, I always say is, understand what you're trying to solve. Once you've solved that, get the data into Excel or Google Sheets, whatever you want. I understand not all our friends working at big enterprise are going to be able to do this. But once you get that in, figure out what your data looks like and then cleanse. Just work back. All right, There's a lot of data out there and understanding which data set is going to answer your question is the one you want to go with. That sounds so simple, but everyone always just goes after the shiny thing. Once you have that, Pivot tables. Just learn pivot tables as a recruiter as your most basic. If you want to take a step up, an app script, JavaScript-based language, you use it in the back of Google Sheets. You can do amazing things with that. Just write scripts, get a developer to help you write some scripts, and then you've got the template built in and run with that. Outside of that, there are some great platforms I've used previously. We have LinkedIn Insights. Love and hate relationship with that one sometimes. Seekout, been using Seekout for a bit. Amazing. Um, gives you some real good deep insights as well. But I think the biggest thing with the data is keep it up to date. I think a lot of people are run a report or they'll build this great big monster out and then they won't touch it for three months. Now data, I mean, in our current climate, anything over two weeks starts losing its potency. Anything after four weeks, given we have a four-week notice period in Australia, your data starts becoming irrelevant. So you have to stay on top of that and drive that through. So that's the biggest thing. And again, GitHub, just search. I think the best thing I ever found was there was something on towards data science where someone just analyzed levels, FYI. They found the API. I use that. We analyzed like a million data points to get salary information out and started trying to predict where the market was going, which worked until the tech layoffs. But, you know, things are out there. You don't need to be at the end of the day. All you really need to do is Google, Google, Bing, just search. Someone's probably done it out there and just see if you can bend it to your way. This is really good advice. And there's two key things that I'm hearing here is that work smarter. And the second thing is make engineers your best friends because they're going to help you out when you're you're stuck somewhere. They're the ones who are going to come and probably save you. Leah, there's another thing that I noticed on, on your profile as well as when we initially spoke was you've done a lot of things within DEI and increasing your efforts in, in that aspect. So are there any sort of key strategies or any advice? Because I know this is always um, a hot topic in every, either in every podcast, in every forum, in every webinar around how can we increase our efforts and how can we do it well without just ticking boxes and ticking off numbers? Are there any strategies or any advice for, for our listeners on how can we do it a lot more better? How can we be conscious about it? I think the big thing I've learned with DI over the, the few years that I've been looking at it is the intention, being intentional about it. All right. Setting up how are we going to, how are we going to define DI? Firstly, in Australia, we're still talking about gender, you know, 
gender DI. There's nothing wrong with that. Like we're a bit behind, I guess, what our friends in Europe and America is doing. But it's how are you going to track this data? How are you going to make sure that when you identify an individual, it's through their identification? We don't infer. But before we do any of that, strip it away. We always look for resources. The person who has the right skill set to do the job. This is my personal opinion. Now, what a sourcer has is we have the unique ability to ensure that people with those right skills are represented equitably. And that's the difference, I think. A lot of people, not a lot of people, that's a broad statement there. Some people will just go, hey, look, DEI tick box, sorter has the right skills, let's push them in. Horrible candidate experience. It's how do we ensure when we work with TA partners that we're highlighting and finding the people with the right skill set and people who may identify in a certain manner, but we always hire on skill set and the capability to do the job. That aside, setting up clear data stores. So again, every week I go through LinkedIn and I just use LinkedIn projects. I just find people and I just start placing them in projects and I go, hey, I've seen these people open opportunities. Let me have a chat. Start mapping out meetups.com. Just go find out who's doing what. Now, a big thing with meetups or any community, sponsor that community, invest in that community. Do not just pillage from said community. Really get involved with them um, is a big call out and an early call out I want to make. It's great just finding names and hitting people up on LinkedIn and all that. But what you need to invest in that community as an organization or as an individual, I think is a big bit there. Outside of that, like invest in tools. Invest in, if you can, a team. Now, when I say invest in a team, a lot of people don't have headcount to do it right now. Have a dedicated DI sourcing team. How about saying, you know what, one week, if you've got five recruiters, Okay, every week, one person's just going to be the DEI sourcer for the team. And he's going to add people to these projects and add people to these projects. And they're just going to reach out to people who could be the ones they need. And then pass that bat on because then you get this great diversity of thought as people go through and the entire team gets skilled up in DEI as we go across. A lot of people talk about gamification. I don't like gamifying DEI. But, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest takeaway, I think a lot of people get nervous with DEI because it is a very fast moving area. Our sources... I get it wrong all the time, but it's how you get it wrong and how you learn from it. So I'll leave it at that. That's a big chat there. That's the suggestions that you made are brilliant because you can embed that straight away. You don't have to be an enterprise. You don't have to be a startup, a scale up, whatever. You can be any size and you can do that straight up. I think one thing that I wish more companies would do is invest in partnerships. So like, you know, I'm I'm a proud member of Asylum Seeker Resource Center and I used to mentor some of the, the refugees over there. And I think this is such a great way to have people, you know, be part of the community, show them how the community is. And a lot of places don't actually, because they don't have work rights sometimes, but give them a chance. So I think yeah. that's also another way that we can invest in the people is by actually investing in those partnerships as well. Like there was certain companies who like we don't allow part-time work well maybe we should because this is how we are diversifying everything it's not just like you said we are way behind in the gender aspect of it as well we just keep banging on about the gender side but anyways that's a topic for another day (laughs) leah that was really really good advice so thank you so much for for sharing that last question for the day uh is we all have and i've had this before as well as we tend to have misconceptions about what sourcing actually is. What are some of the misconceptions that you've seen, whether that's come from hiring managers, people, recruiters, whatever, and what are some of the best ways we can tackle that? Love this question. Love this question. Get my soapbox out. No, no, no. So look, I think the very first misconception I have, I've heard and have to dispel quite a lot is sourcing just has a database. Everyone has the same database. And I think remember my agency days, our database is X, Y, Z, and you're like, great, everyone's got the same candidate. It's called LinkedIn. You might have some relationships, but that's about it. So I think sourcing looks at sometimes the best candidate in the market. Applicants sometimes looks at the best candidate on the market. So there's a very big difference there in timing. You know, I, I sometimes 
akin it to jump starting a jumbo jet, right? Like if you have to jump start a jumbo jet, like it's going to take a lot of cranks of the hand to get that up and running. You know, we think of passive candidates, you know, as sourcing, we're probably going after passive, maybe they're not that passive, but we get them interested. We start courting, you know, we build a relationship, we get them into a process. Or we're working in these long proactive frameworks and projects that we're putting in place. They all take a long time to set up before they're humming. So there's a big one in that. It's not a quick process all the time. We definitely have our wins, but get in early. Get in early with your hiring teams, your hiring managers, your T, I call them TAPs, your TAPs, your talent acquisition partners. Get in early with them and build out what are we doing? How are we going to work together? I think the second big misconception I have heard of with sourcing is, you know, sourcing is just the entry level job. That's how you become a recruiter. I think everyone brings this one up. I know at all the organizations I've worked at where sourcing has been done very well, we're all ex-recruitment leads. I think who just wanted to go have fun doing a lot of R&D and turns it into a career. Um, but, you know, make sure that you have the right split, like a very senior individual, if possible. You can't always do it. Um, but, yeah, sourcing is definitely not that that junior role. And I think the third one is sourcing is just recruitment. Right? It is so much more. Like I said early on, we do data aggregation. We build market maps. We can work with the M&A teams. Um, you know, if you have some crazy idea that you're trying to prove um, and it involves talent or external market, nine times out of 10, the source is probably the person you want to talk to. And then I think probably the, the final one I'll say on the misconception about sourcing is we're just CV generators or name generators. There are so many different versions and I've seen it. You know, Some people just do name gen. That's fine. Some people just do cell calls, um, take the person through a technical screen and put them into the process, handoff. Other people might do something completely different, but there is no single sourcing method that works for everyone. Everything is going to be different until you build out what you need. So sourcing is like that Swiss army knife. Don't try and cut metal with paper scissors at the end of the day. Oh my God. Every, obviously the listeners can't see, but I was nodding my head with everything that Leo was saying, because this is something that I think a lot of us in sourcing, we either hear or we get frustrated by. And there's another one that I tend to get frustrated by at times is that we're going to bring in the sourcer now because we've exhausted all of our options. And now the hire is going to happen. Well, the hire is not going to happen just because you brought a sourcer in and they're going to wave a magic wand or pull out someone from wherever. Uh, it doesn't happen like that. But to your point about sources who we've, we're all from recruitment. So a lot of the times people don't see that we can very easily slot back into that role with our eyes closed. You know, we've just decided to branch out and become more niche in, in, in a certain area and that's it. But can we do recruitment? We absolutely can do recruitment. Just because we do sourcing doesn't mean we've forgotten how to recruit. It's very similar, but we just do a lot more things slightly more differently, a lot more creative, I guess, in, in our solutions. Yeah, this has been fantastic. And you know what? I think whoever's going to be listening to this is probably going to hit you up at some stage and be like hey can you come and build out some of my google sheets for me and you know some some dashboards so get ready to to be hit up or just for some more information around you know because like i said there's not a lot of people that are doing the stuff and even if we are doing it we need to be talking about it hence why we have a podcast like this that now exists so leo thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing so much of your wisdom and knowledge and what it is that you've been doing so far. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing these podcasts. It's great to see someone finally 
shining some light <laughs> down under because we've got some amazing people. We do. Um, and you've got quite a few on your podcast already. So We absolutely do. No, thank you so much. And everyone, I will drop Leo's LinkedIn and the podcast links when it is live. So please reach out to Leo if you do want to know more about how to be a tech sourcer. But just be a little kind to him because he is a busy man right now wearing a recruitment hat. So everyone, thank you so much and stay crafty. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. And we'll be back next week with another exciting episode. If you found this valuable, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, happy sourcing and stay crafty. Until next time.